Those of you who have Netflix or know someone who does will know that the third season of the series The Crown was opened up last week. Probably many have watched it through already. For those of you who don't know, it's about the English crown, primarily centering around the reign of Queen Elizabeth II from her earliest years and now with a new actress into some of her midlife years. I wonder if we were to do a survey of people watching The Crown, how many would end up being members of the Anglican Communion? I think it would be pretty high. We tend to carry a special place in our hearts for the Queen and for the monarchy, regardless of our political views otherwise. Canadians are often quite proud of our relationship with the throne in England. I've only watched about maybe 10 minutes or so into the second episode, so I look forward to seeing the rest of it. But in the second episode, it seems to be comparing the two sisters, Princess Margaret and Queen Elizabeth. And who would have been better to be the sovereign? Margaret thinks it is her. In one of the opening scenes, she's speaking to her husband about all the ways in which she would make a better queen than her sister because of her flair, her desire for riches, her love for power, and her knowledge of how to use it, for her gregariousness and her social abilities. The picture we get of Elizabeth is that she wishes Margaret was queen as well. She doesn't really want that position, but it has been put upon her and she takes it seriously from a place of humility, from a place of service, often speaking through the series about the weight and burden of the crown. Two very different approaches to what it looks like to be the sovereign, but certainly not unique in history. There have been many that have borne leadership in countries around the world that were better suited than some others, others very ill-suited for the job. And much of it boils down to their character, doesn't it? to their motives, to the way that they understand this role that they have either been elected into or born into. And in history, we've had a series in the countries around the world of great leaders and not so great leaders, some amazing leaders and some very poor leaders. Even in our own time, these things are true. Again, that often boils down to the personality, to the characteristics of the person in charge, although not exclusively so. For the people of Israel, the one they remember with the most longing and affection was King David. 
they had demanded a king from God. And even though God tried to talk them out of it for a little while, saying, you know, the king will just oppress you in the end. Are you sure this is what you want? They said, yes, we want to be like other nations. Give us a king. And so God did. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes it was less great. At the time that Jeremiah was writing that passage, which was read this morning, things weren't so great. Israel was in a really bad place. Things were not going well for God's people. And at the center of what was wrong with the world were the kings. The very people who were supposed to protect and shepherd and lead and provide for the people were doing the opposite. And so the dream arose that God would provide another king like David, the wonderful king, the glorious military leader who started out as a little shepherd boy. He would be the one. He would be the one who would establish the rule of God's people forever. He would be the righteous branch of God cast onto the waters of the world to bring forth something new. So it's with that understanding that people began to look at Jesus. He didn't seem exactly the obvious choice, but then again, neither did David at the beginning. But he seemed to say many of the right things. There was something so authentic and authoritative and holy about his character that he would either attract you or repel you with that holiness. So they waited for Jesus to overthrow the Romans. They waited for Jesus to rise up and form his army. All kinds of them would have signed up to be on his side and lead the people of Israel out of the oppression of the Roman Empire. And that story trickles along through the history of Jesus' life until the event that we heard in the gospel today. The hopes for victory seem pretty slim at this point, don't they? The hopes and the dreams that had been pinned upon Jesus as the new David, the new and righteous king of Israel, sent by God, anointed the Messiah, It was all crumbling before their very eyes. Or was it? Remember the scene that Father David just read. You have Jesus on the cross. On either side of him, you have a criminal. You have gathered around him soldiers doing their work of executing justice. 
and making sure these three were killed. You also have the religious officials wanting to make sure that Jesus' eyes close finally one last time and that his chest stops rising and falling one last time and that his heart makes that one last beat so they can be rid of him. And it's interesting the things that they start to shout at him. It is mockery, really, isn't it? You know, if you're a king, kings are called to be great leaders who save their people, so come on down. Save us, then we'll believe you. The religious leaders say, how can you claim to have been the Messiah, the anointed savior of the world, if you can't even save yourself from this humiliating and painful death? Even one of the criminals hanging next to him makes fun of him. And then the other one speaks. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. An unlikely king in unlikely circumstances and a very unlikely statement from an unlikely man. All those religious leaders standing around who studied the scriptures day in and day out missed the point that this man made. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you see the point? Even though things look absolutely one way, they are indeed another way. Even though it looks like Jesus is at his worst moment of defeat, he is actually approaching one of his greatest moments of glory. Even though he looks like a king whose crown has been cast from his head in humiliation, the crown of thorns is declaring him to be the true king of God's people. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That thief, that criminal, that man understands that the appearance of things is not the reality of things. It is through this very act, now I don't think he goes quite this far, but later theologians will declare and sort out that it is through this very act that Jesus saves. If you go home and read that gospel again, you will see that everybody mentions saving. Save us, save yourself, save us, save yourself. And it's precisely what Jesus is doing. In that very moment, in that time of pain, in that time of death, in that time of agony, he is acting out the salvation of the whole world. The turning around of the kingdoms of this world into the reign of God through himself, the Christ. 
the turning around of war into peace, the turning around of pride into selfless giving, the turning around of judgment into love and compassion and mercy. Jesus is reversing all those things on that unlikely throne. And that should be a reminder for us that the right thing doesn't always come easily. The right thing often has quite a heavy price tag. In order for Jesus to do the right thing, rather than following the temptations that the devil had laid before him, it costs him his dignity and his life. And yet love prevails. And good wins over evil through that very act. I wonder if that's what Jesus means when he tells each one of us, those who claim to be members of his kingdom, take up your cross. Is that a reminder that as we go through life, doing the right thing is sometimes the most difficult thing to do? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come up against an obstacle, I turn into Julie Andrews. You know, if God has closed a door, he's going to open a window. Remember that one in The Sound of Music? Well, maybe I'm supposed to push hard against the door. Maybe I'm supposed to try harder to be a better person, to try harder to be more like Christ, to try harder to allow Christ to rule through me, to bring about his kingdom of understanding and love and peace and compassion and justice and mercy. Maybe the point we are missing is that it is through us that the reign of Christ unfolds. Maybe the point we are missing is that the throne of Christ, the throne of his love from which his love animates, emanates, is our hearts. Maybe we do value ourselves and our place in God's kingdom because it's the easy thing to do rather than working hard to do the right thing as a follower of Jesus Christ. So today is a great day of celebration before we turn to the darkness of Advent. It's increasing light as we await the birth of the king. But remember the hope of today in that season and in the dark seasons of your lives, that even though things may look like God doesn't know what God is up to and that the promises of Christ are null and void, those things are lies. In those times, turn to your Lord and say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen.